Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Book Chat. Today, I've got a fantastic guest for you guys to meet, and I actually met him at a convention. So we may talk about that, may not. We'll see how it goes, but let me bring him in. Welcome to the show, John. Hey there. How you doing? Go ahead and tell our viewers and listeners a little bit about you and the books you've created. Okay. Um, I'm John Hartness for any of you who can't read because it's right there under. I always get screwed up as to what side of the screen. (laughs) There it is. Yeah, it's right there. There we go. Um, I'm John Hartness. I write multiple series in... Typically in the urban fantasy space, I write the Quincy Harker Demon Hunter series, the Black Knight Chronicles light urban fantasy series, and the Bubba the Monster Hunter series of comedic horror novellas and short stories. I'm also a cast member of the Authors and Dragons live play D&D podcast and a member of, uh, of the founder and publisher of Falstaff Books. Nice. And a partridge in a pear tree. Hey, I mean, you got to add that little extra tidbit in there. And that's really cool that you are also into D&D. My husband is also a D&D player. I have yet to get into it because I haven't really had time. But I've had so many people tell me the different ideas and stuff they get for stories from the game. And it's amazing. I literally just did a podcast um, last weekend about that very thing. HP Holo did a podcast of writers talking about D&D and how being a GM and D&D player has impacted our storytelling and our books. And it, it does have a lot of impact on yeah. your writing and your creativity especially GMing, because if you started life as a hardcore outliner, hello, kitty, this is Gandalf. Hey, bud. (laughs) Yes, Tolkien names. Yes, Yes, this is Gandalf. He he is wondering why I closed the window, which is right here. Um, (laughs) And now he's out. Later, bud. He'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> he can't actually leave. There we go. Um, D&D really does impact creativity. And as a GM, if you started life as a hardcore outliner, as a heavy-duty plotter, GM for about six months, and that'll go right out the window. Because I promise you, your players are going to make you learn improv. Oh. If you aren't already good with it, One of our GMs on one of our Authors and Dragons shows started off the campaign with something like 15 different fully fleshed out maps. I don't think they ever got to 12 of those 15 maps. Man, I believe it. Yeah. So it's kind of like herding cats. Mm Mm-hmm. As you saw mere <laughs> moments ago, they will not be herded. No, they control us. They, you know, I mean, it just, that's just part of it. Dogs have owners, cats have staff. Yep, well, it's true. I have both, and it, like, yeah, so 
had to make sure I fed them before we sat down to chat. I'm just like, okay, we're good. Everybody's fed. I work for three furry psychopaths. Yeah, I have four. So it's insane. But you got to love them. They're so precious. Uh, Yeah, you have to love them because if you don't, they'll eat your eyeballs. (laughs) Yeah, kill you in your sleep kind of stuff. (laughs) Yep. So let's talk about, I'm curious to know how D&D has affected your writing. Like, tell me about that. Honestly, not much. Um, I came back to D&D after a long hiatus when we launched the Authors and Dragons podcast seven years ago. I hadn't played in well over a decade by that point. So, but I was already pretty established as a writer. I had I had several eight or nine books out mm-hmm. probably by that point. So, I had figured out how to write a book. I didn't need D&D to teach me that. Well, come on if you're coming. Hops up on the desk right outside the shot. And here we go. Yep. This is, I mean, his, his beard, him as my beard is darker than my actual beard at this point. Yeah. Thanks, pal. So while I've actually written and published a book that was an outgrowth of a D&D game I played in college, that one's called Queen of Cats. It's a standalone high fantasy heist novel. Otherwise, it hasn't, it hasn't done a whole lot to change the way I write. Um, every once in a while, I will, if I'm running a game, I'll pl- try out a plot idea you know, see how something works out when I hand an idea over to a bunch of lunatics, which would be any adventuring party ever. Yes. It's always fun to see where they go, like, when you get a story going. Do you feel like your characters drive your story more often than just the plot? No. I'm in charge. I write the books. I've I have a lot of friends who ascribe to that whole well my characters are taking me in these places no they're not they're not you're they're not doing anything you don't want them to do you own the book you're the writer you are God in this world so if your characters do something really dickish just own it you're a dick congratulations (laughs) I'm an, I'm a publisher, so Dick is kind of my default. So it's easier for me, I guess. Yeah. But no, my characters aren't in charge. And if there are definitely times when the narrative goes in unexpected directions, but it's all me, you know, or the drugs, one of those. <laughs> blame it on the drugs. Let's get that way. I. I'm a child of the 90s. I blame a lot of things on the drugs. Yes. yes, (laughs) Okay, I guess I was a child of the 70s and 80s, and I was a young young adult in the 90s. But that's neither here nor there, and I'll need some Metamucil when we're done. (laughs) I can't say much because I was born in the 90s, so I'm kind of like the baby of a lot of the author groups I'm in and it's like, sorry guys, I don't mean to make you feel old, but 
<laughs> I mean, we make ourselves feel old. We didn't mm-hmm. expect to survive this long. You know, I feel that because as a kid, I never, I never pictured myself living past the 20s. But I mean, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and I'm, pushing, just... I'm pushing 50, so I'm well past the sell-by yeah. date. Yeah. So when it comes to writing, I'm curious mm-hmm. to know, do you have a routine that you stick with when you write? Or is it just kind of like when the inspiration hits? Well, when I'm writing, it's a very workmanlike process. Um, I don't write every day, but when I am actively working on a book, I usually write five days a week and between two and 4,000 words a day. So for me, that's one to two chapters a day. And, but I'm not always writing right now. I'm not working on a book actively. I'm revising and doing layout and working on covers for things I've got coming out. I have three books in four books in the hopper that are releasing within the next few months. One's Mm -hmm. a brand new novel. One is a new Bubba novella. One is a collection of Harker short stories. And then I'm doing the new limited edition Harker omnibus the second volume of those will be coming out by the end of this year as well. Nice. That's a busy schedule. Do you typically plan this all out in advance to like have a release thing going on? Well, yes, (laughs) I plan things. Then the world happens. Um, I had lots of plans for fourth quarter of 2022. Then In the month of September, I had a friend die unexpectedly. I had two relatives end up hospitalized with very serious illnesses. And I had, oh, you know, just the largest convention I do every year and Dragon Con. Mm -hmm. So my entire September went down the toilet in doing a massive convention, then coming home and officiating a funeral. Um, I'm also an ordained minister and I officiate weddings and funerals in the geek community here in Charlotte. So I officiated a funeral. Then my brother went into intensive care with heart trouble. Then my niece delivered her youngest child two months early and everything went sideways Everyone is fine now. Well, except the uh, guest of honor at the funeral. He's well, he's fine. I mean, his work is done, but um, that took me completely out of pocket for a whole month. So most of October was catching up on September. And, you know, you can't you can't just reboot and you can't just double up. So I think that now as we're moving into November, when we're recording this, I'm probably down to only two weeks behind on everything. Hey, that's actually pretty good. Catch up time there. Uh, Yeah. Um, One, one of the benefits to having an egregious case of attention deficit disorder is that when I'm able to focus, it's a hyper-focused situation and I can be very efficient 
in very short bursts. Mm -hmm. I'm so, the same way. It, it helps in the times, like when you get something as everybody likes to give me crap for the Ushani disorder thing. Cause like I'll get distracted oh, yeah. by something and it's like, Oh, Hey squirrel kind of thing. If it, if I'm hardcore going and that happens, it just like, after like oh, yeah. reset and it's, it sucks. Cause it's so hard to get back into that. And then oh, having a kid. Speaking oh. of, speaking of ADD. Hello, Stevie. <laughs> it's like, Hey, my turn. Exactly. So, but yeah, that's... he he is the ADD cat of the litter. Oh, nice. Mine is a very fluffy, which he's not in here. I've, he's decided that his new cubby hole to hide in is down here on the bottom of my shelf under the desk. And I'm like, earlier I was working because I'm doing nano this month. Oh, and cool. He popped his head out and was like how long have you been there <laughs> so scared me yeah i came back into my office and gandalf was lying in the window and his stevie his brother was lying on the desk curled up and i was like hey boys where's your sister and i pull my chair out and <laughs> our other cat daisy is asleep in my chair of and i was course. like well princess you gots to move. Yep. She did not approve. I believe it. I've got one which in my other office area, she has claimed that chair. And I'm like, sorry, you got to move. But now that I'm switching spots, this is my new playroom slash office room. It's great. Yeah, I'm noticing the uh, rainbow floor tiles you've <laughs> yes. got behind you. That's definitely. Um, yeah. Definitely some Fortune 500 office decor there. Oh, yeah, definitely. But at least I get to, like, personalize my shelf. Well, okay, it's on the side bookshelf now. Like, trying oh, to. Yeah. Which a lot of those books are from indie authors, except for, like, oh, gosh, pointing is, like, so hard. Okay, this level right Isn't here. Isn't it crazy? <laughs> so, yeah. Like, I can do this. I can point to this, but if it's behind me. You can do that because yours stretches <laughs> over almost the whole screen. Yes. Mine stops true. halfway. So I do this and it, oh God, how do I even get there? <laughs> yeah. So for me, um, the shelf behind me, which is too far away to see, that's my brag shelf. That's all stuff that yes. I've either written or I have a story in those anthologies. Nice. And it's, it's kind of neat because at this point in my career, I need a bigger shelf. Yeah. So I'm going to get there awesome. one day. Yeah. I'm not too far into the game, so get there. Like, yeah. I'm coming on my third year of being a published author. So it's. Oh, congrats. Thank you. It's been I'm crazy. It's definitely a learning ahead. experience. <laughs> so, you know, 10 years from now, you'll have, you'll need a bigger boat. Yes, probably. I'm, I'm getting there. So let's talk about what, which book is your most recent release? My most recent release is one of the Bubba the Monster Hunter novellas. It's called Swing Low, and it is the first in Bubba season six. Ooh. The way I structure the Bubba series is there are four novellas per season, and, the, and they're 
are currently five collections out. The first two are short story collections with one novella in each. And then starting with season three, we switched over to full length novellas and that's what we're doing. So swing low is with Bubba being an ongoing series. There's a lot that's gone on since 2011 when I started writing those, Mm -hmm. those books. And last year I wrapped up a two-year, three-novella, three-novel crossover arc between the Bubba and Quincy Harker series. Wow. So most of Bubba season five, plus Quincy Harker six, seven, and eight, all mesh together to make one big story. And... Swing Low is when we start moving out of that. So, for example, for people who are Supernatural fans, think of it as season six of Supernatural. You know, the first five seasons was one big arc. Eric Kripke had that plotted. That was the plan. Well, then they saved the world, but people still wanted to watch those boys and Jensen Eccles' ass, the ass that broke Amazon. And they wanted to do more, so they had to reboot. They had to come to a place where you can kick off a new arc, and that's what we're doing starting with Bubba Season 6. It's going back a little more to Monster of the Week kind of stuff. In Swing Low, Bubba hunts down the Lizard Man of South Carolina. Yeah. There's a lizard man in the swamps of South Carolina, and Bubba gets hired to find him. That is awesome. And I actually, like, that sounds like a fun character. Where do you get the ideas for all the different monsters in that in that series? Google. Google. <laughs> um, sorry. Um there's a there's a website that is an encyclopedia of mythical creatures and if ever i'm stuck i just go there sweet and then i make sure that uh wizards of the coast doesn't own the copyright on that monster because they own the copyright to a lot of them yeah because they own dungeons and dragons yeah that that is one thing i have kind of researched on you have to be careful if you're going to get your inspiration from there because you cannot use any of the names no you can't um you have you have to be pretty specific for example you can't you can't use hobbit Mm -hmm. because that's that's a tolkien creation you can however use dwarf because and you can use elf and you can use naga And there's a lot of things that you can use because they come from folklore and mythology that predates those those copyrighted IPs, intellectual properties. But you do have to pay attention to those things. And if you're if you're a writer looking for publication, then you can just count on your publisher to do that research for you or 
just write what you want and figure it out when it's time to publish. If you are self-publishing or you are like me and you're publishing other people's work, you have to pay a lot more attention to that because then you're responsible for it. Yeah, that is true. Ugh. And I prefer not to be sued. Yeah, if, I don't think if, anybody would want to be sued. Choice. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of a headache there, getting sued. I, I presume. I'm for. I'm happy to say that it hasn't happened yet. That that's good. Knock on wood that it does not happen in the future. So, out of everything you've written, do you have a book that kind of stands out that may be your favorite that you've written? Kinda. And there's a few. Obviously, um, obviously, the first Black Knight Chronicles book, Hard Day's Night, has a special place to me because it was the first thing that I ever wrote in a series. It's also the first thing I wrote that took off and actually made me any money. Mm-hmm. The first Quincy Harker book is all is always going to be special because it launched a very successful series. I think the fifth Harker book is my favorite in the series so far. It's another one of those reset button moments. We had gone through a big two, another big two year arc and it was time to step back and make a small book because having written several books and stories where we save the world, I've learned that after you save the world in one book, you have to shrink it back down to a very personal story in the next book. And the fifth Quincy Harker book is very tightly focused on him and his internal crises and growth and those kinds of things. And I felt like I got to mine a lot of interesting territory in that book. And um, my book, Amazing Grace, is easily my most personal novel. It is, um, it's set in the area where I grew up. One of the characters is based on my sister. My mother is a character in the book, um, as are her two best friends. They are all, um, they're all ghosts in the book. That is really cool. Only only one of them is not a ghost, really. But she, she was very confused when I told her that I had killed her in a book. <laughs> She's like, well, what'd you have to do that for? I said, well, you know, you're part of a trio of ghosts, and I can't have one live person be part of a trio of ghosts. Yeah. She didn't really understand what I was doing I didn't really care the book had been out for a year by then it wasn't like I was asking permission yeah no it was character inspiration you know yeah exactly and it's always fun to do that and just tie people into the stories because I actually kind of did something similar with my mom it's just like hey like I had to kill your character off sorry about you yeah, I did that with a friend of mine. I named a character in Black Knight after him, and he hasn't read the books, so I didn't feel bad killing him. Yeah. But then when I told him I had killed him, he's like, what'd you kill me for? So, well, if you'd, if you'd read the books, I'd kept you alive. 
I wouldn't. Maybe. <laughs> no, zero chance. No. He was yeah. he was toast. But you know, it's fun to have so. like characters killed off at times. I know that sounds terrible. It's necessary. But yes, yes, it's true. And sometimes you have to let <clears throat> go of certain ones to let the storyline continue. Yeah. On. Well, I typically write ongoing series, so one of the troubles with writing an ongoing series is that you have to keep raising the stakes. Yeah. And sometimes when you keep raising the stakes, you have to bring in new characters to help solve that problem. But then people love those characters and you want to keep them around and you enjoy writing them. Well, that means somebody else is going to have to go. And for that to have any emotional impact with your existing cast probably means that the body count is going up yeah so with doing the ongoing series how do you keep track of who and what is in your stories like do you keep organized files of like your characters and stuff (laughs) Um, there are organized files and series bibles for my ongoing stuff and i make those the old-fashioned way i pay people i don't make those myself i'm not terribly organized and that kind of stuff really makes me want to gouge my eyes out and even just in the even just in the past month I couldn't remember what color dragon I used in a book. So I just went to my Facebook group and asked. I said, hey guys, y'all have read this more recently than I've written it. What color was the dragon in Harker 5? That's actually a genius idea. So, I mean, that's the, another great reason to have a good set of followers. Too. They're the ones that are going to tell me if I screw it up. So I may as well ask them and then keep from screwing it up. Yeah, that's that's a good way to go. Gosh. I've and, never thought I'd like that's this genius. So Well, you know, if if I were the type of writer who had a more serious scholarly demeanor, it probably wouldn't go over so well. But I mean, for God's sake, look at me. I'm sitting here in an office surrounded by magic cards and kickstarter games with my with my um magic the gathering tattoo and my avengers tattoo and i'm a giant nerd and i don't take myself all that seriously i take my work very seriously but not me if you take yourself seriously nobody else will true true but it's fun because you get to have fun with it yeah, I get to sit here and have do interviews with cat tail up my nose. and Yeah, yeah, cat hair everywhere, too. Oh, God, yeah. In the years that you've been writing, if you could share a piece of knowledge to aspiring authors or authors that have just started, you're like, oh, I've got, I've got this before. <laughs> if you could give them a tip, like something not to do or something to do. What would it be? I've got two. These will these will help your career pretty dramatically. First, when you're at conventions, 
you are being watched from the moment you pull up into the driveway of the convention venue until the moment you are in your hotel room alone with the door locked. And even then, keep your voice down because you don't know who's staying next door. You're on from the moment you get there. Sometimes before, on the way down to Multiverse, I stopped at the rest area at the Georgia State Line. And who is coming out of the Welcome Center but Rich Dansky, one of the other writer guests who I have known for a few years. So, you know, I didn't want to be out in the parking lot kicking a puppy when another writer walks by. Also, I don't kick puppies. That's bad. Yeah. Humans kick the shit out of them. Don't kick puppies. <laughs> um, so from the moment you get there, you're on and assume that someone is watching every everything you do. Two, every bit of success I've ever had as a writer boils down to one character trait that everyone would do well to develop. I'm just too stupid to fail. I don't believe when I start a project that there's any chance that I will fail. I wanted to create a publishing company, so I did. I didn't know how to start a publishing company. A fair number of people in the industry today don't think I know how to run a publishing company. The 60-plus authors that I publish, most of them think I do all right. They matter more to me. So adopt a an attitude of relentless self-confidence. And if you don't have that, fake it. Yes. I love so that. there's my two. That those are great tips. And those are actually different tips than a lot of what I get from authors. Because most of the time it's keep writing, don't give up is like the gist of it. So yeah, which is yeah. true. Maybe you want to. But it's fine. Yeah. You but I like the up. mindset and keeping in mind that people are watching you because it's true. Like, well, that that first one came from a from my former life when I was in sales and I did a lot of mm -hmm. different conventions and worked trade show booths, and that was drilled into us when we were being trained. And I had an opportunity to educate a supplier on that at a major conference one one year when I happened to hear them in the booth behind me at breakfast and they were not terribly complimentary about the company I worked for Yikes. who was one of their largest distributors in the world. I draw, I just casually dropped my business card on the table as I left and said, you know, I've been three feet behind you for the past 45 minutes. That's like a mic drop. Yeah. Man. But that drilled home for me what my bosses had been telling me. And I was like, okay, I guess they knew what they were talking about. Boy. Well, John, we have reached the end of our time. So go oh. ahead and tell our viewers and listeners where to find you yeah. and your books. Well, it's really hard. It's <laughs> spectacularly difficult. I'm almost impossible to track down. 
it's at John Hartness on basically every form of social media. It's johnhartness.com or falstaffbooks.com. Uh, and if you're heading to a science fiction and fantasy convention in the southeastern United States, there's a probably a 60 to 70 percent chance I'm going to be there. I do a couple dozen conventions a year all through the Carolinas, Virginia, Tennessee, Georgia, all over the place in the southeast. So hope I'll see you there. Yes. Well, thank you again for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. It's great to see you again.